I am proud to say that I am married to my best friend, Dan, of 32 years, and we have raised three wonderful children who have become productive citizens of society and are making a contribution, and we want to relinquish them to the world. And then there's business. It's your career. It's your team. It's the company that you've built. And why is it that sometimes we just don't want to change? We don't want to delegate. We don't want to relinquish control. And that which got you there, and it's your baby, won't get you to where you need to go. And that's where my conversation with Casey Robinson comes in. She is your guide, the guide for certain companies that need to think about succession planning, need to evolve the leader's role to enable the company to fulfill its full potential. You won't want to miss this episode. Let's just listen to a clip from our conversation. Everyone, though, is at this transition point. They're growing out of the role that they were in. So often I have a great client, new, he's a first-time CEO, but has been a CFO, has been a COO, right? has had more technical jobs in the past, but it's a first time for having that leadership where the buck stops with you, but also that you are responsible for the care and feeding of an entire organization. It's a very different thing than being responsible for making sure there's enough money in the bank or that you've got the operations and the production is done. That's a different thing than having to be responsible for the care and feeding. So always the client is going from some point where they've been in a technical function or sales, where they're really stepping in and going, you know, if I want to grow this business, I have to change. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining me again on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast, where I get to speak to amazing leaders week in, week out, and we get to share their insights with you. If you really enjoy this program, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And today, I am honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Kezia Robinson. Kezia is a business strategist, CEO coach, and investor, and described by her clients as a shapeshifter who can coach business owners through any challenge at any stage of the business. Kezia helps small business CEOs navigate the operational and existential challenges of scaling up, pivoting, and or selling a business they've put their blood, sweat, and tears into. And she holds a BS in physics from Stanford University and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And she serves on the advisory board of Private Packs, an innovator in the fast-growing femtech industry. Kezia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Deb. I am excited to bring this conversation. You and I have been 
I would say collaborating together, getting to know each other and realizing we do serve similar people, CEOs, business leaders that are going through some kind of transformation. You and I could talk and talk and talk about this. So I thought it was finally appropriate that we bring this conversation to our listeners. I think this is going to be action packed and full of such value. But if you could just share a little bit about yourself personally, your business journey and the work that you're doing now. Well, thanks so much for having me, Deb. I'm thrilled to be here. I have had a little bit of a winding road. So if you remember from the intro, I started out in science. I worked in a physics lab for a minute and then realized I wanted to work with people. And then I went into investments, which I guess I thought I was going to be working with people, but I spent quite a lot of time with spreadsheets. And I finally kind of wound myself into consulting and one of the things that was so interesting for me is I started out doing turnarounds. I love problems. I'm a problem solver. You know the same thing. And I kept having the same thing come up over and over again when I would do a turnaround. And I mean, one really crystal clear example was I turned around a business for a friend. It was a high-end jewelry designer, beautiful work. But the market had shifted away from her and things like that. And I spent a year there, tripled sales, did a bunch of stuff. It was great. Everything was going well. And then I handed it back to her. And I had built this business around me, not around her. And so the handoff, let's just say there was a fumble on that. And that's something that I just started to notice. And as I went forward with more and more of my clients, I started to realize that it was really about helping people build a business that worked for them. And that's what I do now, something where they can lead from their strengths and Truth be told, it can be as big or as small as they want it to be. It's not about my dream. It's not about my vision. It's not about my ability to solve problems. It's about my ability to help other people solve their own problems. That's a really interesting story. And again, I'm glad we have this on the show because I didn't know that story. And when you said it was a fumble, and again, there's great humility in seeing, well, what did we do well and what didn't go so well? So again, you obviously turned around a business so it's viable, scalable, et cetera, and handed it back. What was maybe missing in that handoff that you learned from and now you serve others in a better way? I think the the biggest thing is that I had put in not just systems, but personnel. And I had really put my stamp on it and taken over a lot of, obviously not the design, but a lot of the backbone And that when we went to transfer that infrastructure, that it wasn't intuitive and that the handoff, even on personnel, the leadership skills had not been developed. So the pattern of behavior that had led this business owner to where she was at the time just reset itself. And I coached both the CEO and I coached the business. And that that's a symbiotic relationship, but that I had not spent any time essentially coaching that's the CEO. And I had not even spent time really coaching the business so much as just rebuilding it in an image that worked for me. And she and I were very, very different people. So it was destined to be rocky at best when we went to transition back. I find so much power in that because there's something so strong in there. You talk about you did what you did based on your training, your education to build something on paper, on process, the tools that say this is a viable business. But the hard work is with the people. 
to build it around the people, build it around the existing capabilities or developing the capabilities because they are who have to sustain it for the long term and is exactly the work that I do and I believe you do now dropping into situations, but building the capability of the people to own the process and sustain it for a lasting impact. Because as a consultant or a coach, we can leave. And if it doesn't sustain itself, it's all for naught. Yeah. And one of the reasons I work mostly with smaller businesses, small in terms of headcount, not in terms of vision. So typically 100 people or fewer in kind of the main part of the business is that when I did work with Fortune 500 companies, it was just so hard. There was no dropping in. There was no turning the ship. There were so many layers of people that the level of commitment that was required at the top to really to seeing transformation and change was greater than most Fortune 500 CEOs are up for. And that's why you and I get along, because we both have worked for big companies. We've been so fortunate in our pedigree to work for some of the best companies and get all of that technical training. But recently, and again, we shouldn't shut out the opportunity for working with a larger company, because sometimes they acquire smaller companies and need to integrate them in the fold. But there's something so beautiful about the smaller company that if we decide to make a technical change, or we decide to start making a leadership evolutional change, it's so much easier to make those changes. It's a smaller ship, an important one, but easier to make those changes if people have the right mindset. Absolutely. I have a follow-up question. So when we think about you coming into an organization that needs your skills, I mean, where are they at when they say, we need Kasia, or somebody tells the leader you need Kasia? Have they been somebody that's been new with the company? Have they been the leader of the company for quite some time? What does that profile look like when you arrive? So what's interesting is that it's less about where they are in how long they've been at the company, because I work both with people who founded the businesses and have been running them for decades sometimes, and with people who are relatively new coming on as leaders. Everyone, though, is at this transition point. They're growing out of the role that they were in. So often, I have a great client. He's a first-time CEO, but has been a CFO, has been a COO, right? has had more technical jobs in the past, but it's a first time for having that leadership where the buck stops with you, but also that you are responsible for the care and feeding of an entire organization. It's a very different thing than being responsible for making sure there's enough money in the bank or that you've got the operations and the production is done. That's a different thing than having to be responsible for the care and feeding. So always the client is going from some point where they've been in a technical function or sales, where they're really stepping in and going, you know, if I want to grow this business, I have to change. And what I really work with them is growing yourself out of the role you're in. You're not trying to fire yourself. Sometimes people say that. I'm like, that'll just freak someone out. You're not trying to fire yourself. You're trying to grow yourself out of the level of the business you're in and into the next tier. And sometimes if someone's in a couple of decades in the business, they may be trying to grow themselves in the next phase of their life which everyone says they want to retire. Nobody wants to retire. I've never met a business owner who actually wanted to really retire, but they grow themselves out of the company that they're selling 
or passing down generationally and grow themselves into the next phase of their life. So I think there's something potentially really actionable around that. So when we say growing out of that role, evolving, whatever it might be, I think there's potentially a lesson for whoever's listening, a CEO or an emerging leader or a middle leader or an entrepreneur. What does it mean to be growing into or growing out of the current role, growing into the next role? What are some common characteristics or work that you have to do with that person to ready them and get them into that next role? Well, I absolutely think you have to have a vision for the next role. And that is one of the hardest things when somebody is the CEO of a business already, because the next role is being the CEO of the larger business. So it requires a visioning on the organization. But if someone is more midstream, then that is something where it really is What do you want to do? What are the pieces that you love about the job? Because this gets to the key thing, your point of the actionable, is to say, what is at your pay grade right now? Okay, when you grow into the next role, all of those that most of the things you're doing are going to be below your pay grade. It doesn't mean you're above doing them. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy them, but they are below your pay grade. So what is it that you love about the job you're in now? And how do we transform that into things that are at your pay grade? Salespeople can be a prime example. Somebody who has been leading sales in their business and is now really growing is to turn the thrill of the close and the engagement with the client to work on transferring that into some other place, usually the thrill of the engagement with their employees. It could be a partner strategy. So instead of doing directly interact with your clients, you're going to be interfacing with other CEOs of larger businesses and executing a partner strategy. It might be PR. It might be that it matters a lot to you to get recognition. So I really love to look with people. We always want to delegate the stuff we don't like. What do you love or what do you like about this? And how do we transform that into something that you can take with you into the next level? I think that is the greatest nugget from this conversation, but we're going to keep going because I am sure there's going to be more. I mean, I thought it was a beautiful thing you said about take what you love because you don't have to let it go because that's why they'll stay small in the role. But if you love speaking, if you love engagement, if you love public relations, okay, keep that. It's okay. Let's leverage that strength. That's what I coach some of my people in my human-centric leadership course. Celebrate not just what you're strong and good at. That's the tech technical part. But what are you passionate about? Because somewhere between that technical strength and that passion, marry that get together. And like you say, see yourself in that future role until you can see it. It's not going to happen. And again, that's about the purpose. It's looking at the strengths of the people. This is all in my CEO's compass (laughs) of just getting a leader back on track. I bet you have some amazingly talented leaders that just sometimes just hold back from moving forward. Yeah. I think that the only thing that really stands between any of us and what we want in the end is ourselves. There are structural issues. There's racism. There's, I mean, there's tons of stuff. I don't want to discount any of these things that are very real, but we are our greatest enemy. And I don't think I caution you to ask anybody when you push it down, when you get down to it, we're the ones who hold ourselves back. And so much of that in the work, and I know you do it as well with our CEOs, is I work a lot with people on delegation. 
and technicals of figuring out what the acceptable error rate is. Let's say you're delegating a task and you really do have to understand like how much can the person you delegate it to mess up at the beginning because it won't be perfect. How much, and in fact, if it is perfect, it's probably because they came up with something different than you did, right? So how do you handle that? I can work with people a lot on the technical pieces, on the systems, the checklists, but ultimately that when someone hits a pocket of resistance, it's unique to them. All happy families are the same. All dysfunctional families are different. That pocket of resistance really is unique to each person. And so that is part of the, I know you just the little woo-woo type of thing that we do. It's not all, you know, systems and checklists. When I work with executives, there's part of it which looks at what are the unique triggers that are stepping in your way? And a big one for me, I work with people in trades and it can be hard to be the boss. Depends on how your background, but maybe your parents were blue collar, pink collar, nine to five. The boss was this fat cat, lazy, told you what to do, took all the money, took all the credit. So now you're trying to grow your business and stop going out in the field and manage well, you've just turned into the boss and you have this negative, maybe it's, and somebody's going to call you the boss one day, as even if they're just joking. And so there's sometimes these things that are so deep and they'll manifest in, well, Jim, I don't trust it, that he's going to do a good enough job. He's so young, blah, blah. They'll manifest into some other excuse. And you really have to kind of go both with the technical side of here's some blocking and tackling, here's some exercises, here's some techniques. And with that, underlying like, hey, if this isn't working, what is holding you back? So I love the work that you do. And the mind really controls a lot. Once we filter out the external factors, a quick story, I was curling today. And my teammate wanted me to throw the stone to do a really tough hit. And in my head, I said, I can't throw the stone hard. And I threw the stone and I missed my shot. It was all in my head. I was very capable of doing it. So the next time I was actually embarrassed that I missed the shot, I said, I can make that shot. Just throw the stone where he wants me to at the right technical speed. And let's see what happens. And guess what? I made my shot, which means you're capable of doing it, but the mind messes with you and holds you back. So I tell so many of the people that I mentor, you've got to first just shift your mindset, stop saying I can't. And what about I can. And let's work on evolving the ability that you can. So amazing story. Let's keep going with this because I think there's a couple other topics that I think are really strong and unique to your brand. You've talked about in our discovery conversation about just stop helicopter parenting your business. So tell me more about that. I think there's something in there that a lot of people can learn from. Well, this gets to delegation and all of the elements of whether you're looking this very big in family businesses, when there's sort of both actual helicopter parenting and hel helicopter parenting the business, it can happen with startups. It can happen with a lot of different types of business. And what it is, is when you've kind of set too much of your identity and your purpose around the success of the business or the, leading the business, when the business starts to succeed on its own, you kind of want to keep messing with it because that's ultimately what helicopter parenting is. It's like your kid can do their own laundry at school, right? 
you're not helicopter parenting someone who's incapable of doing these activities. They are. So there's an element to that that business owners do as well. And this gets to the idea of the growing out of the role into something else. But it will manifest in classic behaviors. Oh, how's your sales team? My sales team is great. Okay, so why are you continuing to do sales calls? Well, then you start telling me how your sales team's not so great, right? That went from being great to not so great because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense for you to continue to be micromanaging the sales calls. So there is a lot of that going with people and really helping them understand what they're doing and that they're preventing the business from launching. I use that analogy a lot. Anybody who has teenagers or college-age kids, it very much resonates because they're like, oh, yeah, I tell him he should do his laundry. And then I tell him he did the laundry wrong. (laughs) It's like, exactly, same thing in your business. So what's an example where you had somebody who was stubborn? And I'm sure I'm a business owner. I'm stubborn, too, (laughs) having a hard time letting go of a few things. I mean, what are those things or what's an example where all of a sudden it clicked? They were able to say you're right. I had CEO I was working with who's transitioning his business, who's looking to sell it internally to not a generational transfer, but a business generational transfer. When I came in, he was like, I do all the numbers. And I will never give up the numbers. It'll be the last thing I give up. And I was like, okay, great. And what happened is I just kept elevating with the numbers. I kept saying, okay, well, so this is the nub. Tell me about your project level profitability. Oh, I can't figure that out. That doesn't work, right? It's like, oh, hmm. Well, who could figure that out? What happens if you, really, you can't figure that out? You absolutely, you're sure that you can't figure out your project level profit. Well, it would take a lot of work. So eventually it was just like, I just kept on the idea of what does the business need? But how are you making these decisions? The business needs to know if you want to sell it, the business needs to know how profitable it is as you're selling these, it was a project-based business. And so we're doing all of these things where it's a little sneaky. Like I'm like, oh, well, let's advocate from the side of the business. I didn't tell him who on the team he should delegate to. Ended up, it made sense to bring in an outside resource. And then eventually they'll bring in somebody who's internal. But I was like, I tell him, you got to turn the numbers over to X. It's not going to happen. What it was, was what's in the best interest of the business? Because if it wasn't the best interest of the business for him to hold on to the numbers till the day he walked out, then who am I to tell him not to? But it wasn't in the best interest of the business. So it's the process of separating the identity of the business. That is powerful because sometimes that's what keeps people from letting go. But we have to think about the greater purpose and what gets you to true north, which I talk about in my book, but I'm writing the CEO's compass. The purpose is to, like you say, create a viable build business, one that's growing, one that you can exit from. And again, it's not about you, the CEO, but it's the people you serve. And in this context, the business, how can you best serve the business? It's not about you anymore. And that's, trust me, and you know, and anyone who's had children knows, right? It's a process or had a business, I'm in there, I'm coaching both. And it is to advocate. Sometimes people will put the business's needs so far ahead of their own. And it's like, hey, what's your dream? Okay, your investors are telling you to do X, but what's your dream? And vice versa. A lot of times with business owners, they get really fixated on, oh, I want my kids to work in the business. And it's like, well, that's lovely. Have your children expressed any interest in working in the business? I'm like, because you're tying your dream. I mean, I'm like, it's great that you have a dream to be in business with your kids, but that's your dream, not their dream, right? So there's a lot of things that come into it 
we're thinking of what's in the best interest of the business, separating it is very mentally powerful. And it also makes them come, to, as you know, they have to then come to terms with when they're handicapping the business and using it as like a crutch for their self-worth and identity and all of these. I just get this tremendous sense of you have such an easy, a kind way in your voice as you speak, but you're asking these really, really challenging questions in such a friendly, kind way. And I bet you, I wonder, does anybody's head hurt after you keep asking these questions? Well, do you need to own this? Could the, is this serve the business? And you just keep asking these questions to you almost, I'd say almost wear them down to say, I got to let go. I just got to let go. Have you ever seen anybody's body just let go? Yes. So I sprinkle. One of the things is I'll put it aside if something's not. And I actually did have a client once who told me that he had to take a nap <laughs> after a session because he's like, my head hurt. I was earlier in my coaching career. I, I have learned more. And it's funny because you also are someone who asks very pointed and specific questions in a very congenial manner. So I think we have that kind of superpower together. But it is one where being, and this is part of the craft of coaching, and I think sometimes people don't realize how much professional development that we do, not just in addition to the business, all of the years and years of business experience that people like you and I have, is that there is a great deal, and I customize the programs to my clients because I need to know when they can take a little more, when they can't, and model for them how you can say, no, I don't have more capacity for this, and model that you can push back on someone and they won't blow up at you. And someone can push back on you and they're not trying to hurt you or put you down. So there is a lot of that back and forth. And I have learned in getting close now to a decade of consulting and coach, independent consulting and coaching I've been doing, that it is something that I, I have to watch out for and be sensitive to. But like the same thing, I, I didn't bring it. It wasn't like I went after that CEO every time I met him on the finance side. But anytime I brought it up, it was like once a month. It would be worked in. Anytime he said something about, oh, this issue with the numbers, it would be worked in. And eventually it probably took about four months, five months to kind of get him to begin to realize that he didn't even want. When he started talking about what the business needed, which was all of this forecasting, and he didn't want to do that. He liked balancing the checkbook, right? There's comfort in that, just like comfort food. There's comfort. There's, you know, that it's something that you control. Sometimes it's about relinquishing control and doing something completely different. And that's what us entrepreneurs do. We're always doing something different. It's hard to keep us at bay. I would love to get into a little bit something personal. I did not know this, but I see that you are writing a book or getting ready to write a book. Where are you at? It's called Go Ahead, Be That Leader how to have your cake and eat it too. I am so interested. What is the essence of your book? The essence of the book, and I am in early stages. I know you've been working on book for the whole time that I've known you. I'm very excited to see that coming out soon. Or is it already out? No, the CEO's Compass, getting you back on track. It is just about done. It'll be probably done written this weekend. The plan is to have it out the third quarter of 2021. It's my framework, my approach to helping CEOs and senior business leaders get back on track. Yes, it's customized. They don't need a five-step approach, but sometimes you're just off track on one compass point, maybe two compass points. And so we dive in, we try to understand what 
is holding them back from getting the ship back on course. So it will be coming out. We are writing it and finishing it. Hopefully by the time people listen to it, we'll be relaunching it. So I'm excited, but tell me more. What is it going to share with others? The impetus for my book is someone said, I was sitting there with one of my clients and he said, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And I was like, what is that guy? We were talking about leadership and, oh, you know, I don't want to be the one who's always wanting to be up on, get all the attention. And and he began to describe the person that based on all the work I done, he did want to be, right? But there's a sense we have that, especially I'm operating out of New England. And so a lot of my clients are still in that area, though I have people all over the country. But it was one of those where it was this idea, well, I don't want to stand out too much or who am I to want to work from Florida a couple of months a year? I don't want And it's very much like, you know, I don't want to be that guy or that woman. And I started to come to the understanding. I was like, yeah, no, be that person. And what is that, right? All the things you talk about being that loud or this or, or the one who's, it's always the things that people are saying, I don't want to be that. And then they list the things they really want to be. So it really was for, for me, this, the, the ethos of the book is getting in touch with who is that? What is that? And then really moving out of the win-lose mentality and getting into a place of expansion and really looking at, oh, okay, we can be a great place to work for new moms. We can be the best place to work for new moms and be a high margin, fast growing, competitive environment. Those are not in conflict with each other. I can be somebody who is very engaged. I can lead from a place of engagement and take all my vacation and work remotely. Those sorts of things that people get really fixated on. I can't be a good person and make money. I mean, there's so many things we tell ourselves. So it gets back to some of the stuff we've talked about before, really going through and looking at who is that and what are all the things you want? And then how do you build that life for yourself as a leader? I so see early in the interview here, you describe the kind of work that you do. It's not the technical fixing the business, but it's helping that leader grow and then evolve the business around them. This too is about a little bit of that mindset work. It's about, I don't want to be that guy. Well, then what kind of guy or gal do you want to be? And by the way, you could be a little bit of that. You don't have to be boastful, but you can be a leader and inspiring without being loud. It's just, oh my goodness, I can't wait. <laughs> or you can be loud. One of the things is like, but what is loud? We say somebody's loud when they're shouting over other people, right? That's the implication. If you're being loud, it's because you're not allowing other voices in. You can be quite bold and really shine and still share the spotlight. I love that. For all the humble people that are listening, there's a lot of humble people that I know they shy away from the spotlight. But it's about what you think the spotlight is. But if you come in, you provide a solution to a problem and you engage the people and then people start seeing you as a leader, the, the intangible light is showing on you because people believe in you and you're helping and believing in them. You're being that guy without the loudness <laughs> or that gal. Oh, I am so excited for this work. I can't wait. <laughs> 
So this has been an amazing interview. And I know we could talk on and on. But I mean, your work is so impactful. I know there are so many leaders out there that have enjoyed the work that you've done, and so many more that you need to connect with. But as we bring this to a close, are there any last closing thoughts for leaders before we bring this to a close? Well, there's a great Lillian Tomlin joke, where she says, I always wanted to be somebody. I should have been more specific. And I think that what I would say is if you're in that zone where you want to be somebody and maybe you'd like to be more specific, that please reach out to me. I am always open for a conversation. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm one of the very, if not the only, I'm one of the very few Kezia Robinsons. And I know that we'll have that contact info in the show notes. Or you can reach me through my website, which is www.cassia.com dashpartners.com. Fantastic. I am so grateful we've had this conversation. I so enjoy our friendship, our collaboration, and look forward to your continued success. Thank you for being a fantastic guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website, at dropinceo.com or visit our Dropin CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.